Well, hello, everybody. It's fun to do this together one more time. We're starting a brand new series here. Well, you're starting a brand new series. I'll start it and then leave. But you, you are starting a brand new series called Extraordinary Nobodies. And over the summer, I think you'll have a lot of fun with this. You're going to get to take a look at some of the stories of people that maybe you don't know from the scriptures. It could be because their story is really short. It could be because their story is found in some obscure place in the Bible somewhere. It could be because the story is just kind of weird. But uh, you probably don't know all of these stories. But I think if you were to engage with these over the summer, you're going to be inspired by these so-called nobodies. And the whole point of the series really is, is to get to know some of these different characters in the Bible that get massively overlooked. They're nobodies in the sense that you may not recognize their names. You're not going to know all of these stories. I'm pretty sure of that. And while the goal of these messages is to not aspire to be any of these individual characters, as it's Christ alone we aspire to, these lesser-known characters in many ways are at times easier or maybe a different way to be able to relate to them than some of the titans of the faith. Sometimes it's hard to relate to the Moses and Abraham and David, but, but these stories that you're going to look at, Balaam or Josiah or Lydia, they might be really, really helpful for you as you pursue following Jesus in your own life. So I think you're going to have fun with this. Uh, let me give you a little uh, inside information on how we kind of chose these stories and assigned who will unpack them. When it comes to kind of designing the teaching series, Greg takes point on that. And so, you know, some of us, we give different ideas, and then Greg kind of maps out the year, what this is going to look like, kind of figure out the weeks. And so with this particular se uh, series, Greg kind of sends this out with who's doing what, and then also you kind of have to pick one of these extraordinary nobodies. Now, the week that Greg does all of this, he sends it out, and it becomes a mad dash for the rest of us to try and figure out who we're going to pick from the list. But the week that Greg sent this out, I was like crazy doing a whole bunch of different stuff, so I didn't have a lot of time. So guess what? I just got stuck with what was left over. This is how it went. So I'm telling you this, honestly, I get there, I look through the list, I see, well, there's really only one option left, Judas. <laughs> I'm serious. They're like, well, it's Jeremy's last weekend. He might as well preach on the betrayer anyways. <laughs> So that's what they left me with. It's very kind of them. So here we are, my last time doing this with you as one of your pastors, and we are looking at Judas. So let's get to it then. Now, the Judas that I am going to talk about is primarily, uh, you know, it, it's not the one who betrayed Jesus, but he will definitely come up, but it's a different Judas. And what you need to know right off the top is that there are a whole bunch of people in the New Testament named Judas. Okay, it's a very common name in the New Testament time period. And there's lots of different reasons for this. One of them is thought to be uh, because of the story of this guy called uh, Judas Maccabeus. He lived in the intertestamental period. So where the Old Testament ends and before the events of the New Testament start, there's hundreds of years there. And there was this Jewish hero that lived at this time. And so one of the reasons why lots of people got named Judas was because of this hero. But I want you to just understand, there's lots of guys named Judas in the Bible. There's lots of people with the same name in the Bible, so it can get confusing at times. Now, you all understand this, because this happens to us here too, right? We, we know people that have the same name. And this is never more clear than the time where your first responsibility as a parent is to name your child. This is one of the most significant things you first do as a parent, is you've got to sit there and figure out, how do you name this kid? And you don't realize the relational trauma you've lived through until you try and name your kid. One of, you know, one of you says, okay, well, what about the name Henry? The other one's like, can't do it. Fifth grade, Henry punched me in the face and stole my Snickers. 
all Henrys for all time are dead to me, right? <laughs> you know this. You know this hard, this naming convention is hard. So, so here's what you need to know about studying the scriptures is that when you look into the scriptures and you see a name that you recognize, it's just good practice to not assume that it's the same person being talked about over and over again. Sometimes it for sure is, but sometimes it's not. So you got to be careful with that. Now, the easiest way for me to show you kind of what's going on here with Judas is for you uh, to look at the list of Jesus' disciples. This Judas we're talking about was one of, Ju- uh, of Jesus' disciples. So uh, let me show you this first in Mark chapter 3. It goes like this. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons These are the 12 he chose. Simon, who he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. So we got Mark's list of the apostles here. We see various names, and you notice there's only one Judas, okay, one Judas, A little helpful reminder of that Judas uh, kind of situation and his fate. Luke's list looks different. It goes like this. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all his disciples and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. Here are their names. Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, And then we see it here, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. So where we start to see part of the the reason why this guy's a bit of a nobody, it's kind of even hard to figure out who exactly he is. In Mark's list, he's the one named Thaddeus, okay? And if you were to look at Matthew's list, I didn't show you that one, but depending on what translation you're looking in, you will also see him named as Thaddeus, and there'll be a little note there in your Bible that will give you a little reference point. Uh, It may also just show up as uh, Labias. And so this guy's got lots of different names. It's this one here I just showed you where you actually see the Judas name. Now, this is not just confusing to us now. This has been confusing throughout church history, and this is what led church father Jerome in the 300s to call this Judas trinomial. Uh, That is the one with three names. It was just a way to refer to this person with all these different names. Now, if you were to take some time and do some research on this Judas, you will quickly realize that even today, there's not consensus on who this guy uh, was and what parts of the scripture we should attribute to his presence. And what parts is he in? What what Judas is this exact guy? Because there's, again, lots of that going on. So I'm coming at this from a more evangelical position, but I just want you to know that there is difference of opinion on this elsewhere. So you're starting to see why probably nobody talks about this guy because it's very complicated to even just figure out who this guy was and what he might have done. It was really hard for me to even figure this out. And once I did think I sort of figured this out, then I had a new problem. He hardly shows up in the Bible at all. So not only am I stuck with this Judas, I don't got a lot of material to work with. So here I am this last week. I'm sitting in my desk. I'm packing a box. I'm sitting in my desk. I'm packing a box. I'm sitting in my desk thinking, I got to go out there and talk about the guy named Judas. Turns out to hardly be in the Bible at all. I got to try to make some sort of meaningful message out of this as we kick off our new series. So I was really stressed out, but then I remembered, I'm leaving. (laughs) So if this ain't in the greatest hits... Oh, well, (laughs) love you, bye. 
But truthfully, this was a great challenge. And I do. I really do. I, I think that the Lord has something for us here. But we do need to pay attention. Because we can't get ahead of the text. We can't just make it say things that it doesn't say. We can't find a bunch of stuff that we don't actually see in the text. But I think if we critically and thoughtfully think about Judah's story, it does actually show us a few helpful ideas. And here's the first one. It's very simple. Judas is called by Christ. He's called by Christ. This is why I wanted to show you the lists. Regardless of all the stuff that's going on with his name, here is a guy who has been called by Jesus. Now, we don't get all the details of what that would have looked like. We get that for some of the other disciples. We see how Jesus kind of came to them, how, how this kind of worked for them. We don't see it for Judas. But just because we don't see it in the text doesn't mean that he does not have his own story, right? At some point, Jesus came close to him. And there was something about him that wooed him in and brought him in, and he became a follower of Jesus. He was found by Christ. And then he ends up with this beautiful part of his story where he ends up sitting among the 12. His name is listed, albeit in different ways, right alongside Peter, James, and John. And so what you just have to catch here is that this guy's called by Christ. This is what makes him extraordinary. It's so easy to gloss over this, but it's important. The first remarkable reality about this extraordinary nobody is that he's found by Christ. It's an amazing part of his story. This is how we know any of his names at all, is because he's connected to Jesus. Judas starts his extraordinary journey not because of who he is, but because of whose he is. And it's the very same thing, I believe, for all of you. All throughout the scriptures, Jesus chooses these people who are sort of on the outs, these, these nobodies, these ordinary people. He chooses, he chooses over and over those who have been looked over, those who are on the outs, those who don't seem to have it all together. And that's what the list of the disciples shows us. From what we do know about the ones that were called, their stories make them interesting choices, to say the least. But Christ has this beautiful way of befriending and defending those who are on the outside. He finds them, he calls them, and he points them towards something greater. And I think he's done so for us as well. I've been spending some time in 1 Peter, and uh, perhaps it's uh, fitting that I bring up 1 Peter because it's a part of the New Testament that often gets overlooked. Uh, it doesn't get a lot of coverage, but it's an amazing book. And in it, Peter writes to believers who feel like they are on the outs, people who feel exiled, like they don't belong. And in a very real sense, those who would have first read this letter from Peter knew exactly what it felt like to be a nobody. It's part of why Peter writes to them. And there's this amazing passage where he talks about those who are far from God, about, about how they struggle and they stumble and they wander. And, and it leaves them in this place where they're actually making life for those who would follow Jesus very, very difficult. But then he writes this. He says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. In other words, you're extraordinary. You're called, you're chosen, you belong to God. So Judas is called to be an apostle, to bring the hope of Jesus wherever he goes. And then Peter reminds the believers that he's writing to here, and I also believe all of us who would then come to read these words, that we too have the same opportunity to bring the goodness of God everywhere we would go. 
So in this very real sense, you and I are called, we're found, and this is what makes us extraordinary. It's because of the one we belong to. And whether you've been a follower of Christ for many, many years, or maybe you've just recently begun this journey, the beautiful reminder here is that you have a purpose, a calling, an opportunity to to live an extraordinary life in the kingdom of God. And maybe because it's so simple, or maybe because some of us have known about this for a little too long and we've forgotten, don't forget the story, your own story, of when Jesus came close to you, of where he found you, of how he brought you to himself, that each of us that are followers of Jesus have been found by him. And if you're here and you feel like maybe you haven't been found yet, well, good news for you. Jesus is really, really good at finding us. And I think he'll find you too. I think this is true of Judas, but I also think it's true of you. Okay, so Judas isn't just found by Jesus, he's then formed by Jesus. This is the next idea I want us to think about. And this takes us to the one place, one place in all of the scriptures that we see this Judas talk, okay? Uh, He gets one line, okay? Dude has three names, but he doesn't even get three lines, he gets one. So here he is, the original one-hit wonder, it's in John 14. John 14, 22, it starts like this. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name. I feel so bad for this guy. It's like, here's this one moment, you know, they're getting it ready to write it down. Just remember, make sure they know he's not the betrayer, right? Add that in, right? This is one line. You just have to know that when the gospel started to get circulated, the popularity of the name Judas really took a hit, right? Like if they had the kid's name popularity chart back then, between like 34 and 70 AD, Judas, not hot, not a hot name. Poor guy. (laughs) Here he is, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other with that name said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? It's the only recorded words of this disciple. And Judas asks a very real question of Jesus. You maybe don't remember this line. If, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, you might not forget that this is in here. John 14 is packed with all sorts of uh, amazing verses. Uh, this often gets overlooked because it's in this well-known passage in John 14 that, that the disciples are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. They got this idea that they were called. They've got this idea that, okay, Jesus got a plan for my life, okay, but they were still needing to be formed. And so they didn't understand everything that Jesus was saying to them. So they're sitting there, they're listening, they're they're trying to allow Jesus' teaching to reorient their lives. And Jesus, in this chapter, declares he is the way, the truth, and the life. He, He promises his followers the Holy Spirit. And then there's this back and forth between Jesus and his disciples, specifically around this idea that Jesus would be leaving them. They didn't go, they didn't understand what this meant or or how this was going to go. They didn't understand what he was talking about. So the disciples start asking a bunch of questions to try to clarify this. Uh, Peter jumps in. He says, Jesus, where are you going? He, He wants to know where Jesus is going because in classic Peter fashion, he's like, I'll just follow you. Like, wherever you go, I'm coming with you. And so he's asking this question. Then Thomas jumps in. He says, well, okay, you're gonna leave us, but we're supposed to follow you, but how are we gonna know where to go if you don't tell us where you're going? So there's confusion around all of that. Philip's just sitting there, and he finally just says, Lord, show us the Father. 
All this is fine. Just show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. Everything can kind of move on. So all these questions. And then Judas asks his. And it's a really insightful question. It proves to be the very best question yet because the other disciples are asking basically, how does this impact me? How does this impact me? Where where am I going to go? How am I going to follow? We're going to show me the Father. And this Judas, he says, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to everyone else? The rest of the world. Now again, because we have so little details on Judas, it's hard to know what he has in mind when he asks this question. There's a couple different thoughts around this. One angle is that Judas may be thinking about a specific scenario, sort of like, okay, if you're leaving us, then how is everyone supposed to know who you are? We've got a bunch of followers, but we're a long ways away from like everyone, the whole world following. There's others who think that this could be um, Judas asking more about this broad concept that he had this idea that Jesus' rule would look similar to, to rulers of that day, that there would be this, this immediate uh, political, militaristic element to Jesus' rule, and, and they were waiting for it, but, but it, wasn't, it wasn't showing up that way. But whatever his motivation for asking the question, I'm pretty sure that the answer Judas was, uh, the one he receives, is, is definitely not what he was looking for. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. So we take all of this combined with the other questions just makes so clear the disciples didn't really understand how this was all going to work. They're in the process of being formed. They certainly haven't arrived yet. And it's so interesting to me at this pivotal moment because rather than providing more specific instruction, that's what the disciples are asking for. They're like, give us the details, the specifics of this. Instead, it seems like Jesus kind of goes the other way. He, He talks in much more broad terms. I think what he does is he lays out what's important for the ones that he has found and formed. I've been thinking about this because Jesus' response to Judas seems so simple, but maybe that's the point. Jesus takes this question about how he is revealing himself to people and instead responds with how people reveal themselves to God. Did you catch that? Jesus takes this question about how he's revealing himself to people and instead responds with how people reveal themselves to God. See, the disciples are so concerned with with what Jesus would do that they became fixated on elements that are outside of their control. They're just worrying about things they had no power over. And I think this is this beautiful moment where Jesus tells them, like, look, how you live matters. You're not going to know every detail. You're not going to have this all figured out. But how you live truly matters in this life. And Jesus would go on beyond this to teach and say, look, the the Father is going to send the advocate. The Holy Spirit will come. And and he will teach you, but he will also remind you of the things that I have taught you. I think it's just Jesus' way of saying, like, guys, keep the main thing the main thing. I think Judas, I think the disciples, they had the same problem that so many of us have. We want to know everything, like everything. We want to have every perceived conflict resolved. We want to intellectually wrap our minds around an incomprehensible God. And listen, I am convinced that that is a noble journey. 
there are many of you that are on that journey. And there are many, many intellectual reasons to believe. But don't forget that at some point, you're going to come to a place where you cannot fully understand our vast and mysterious God. And so Jesus reminds us here, as everyone's trying to nail down the specifics, Jesus reminds us, at the end of the day, we express our love for Jesus, not when we have him fully figured out, but when we obey his teachings. less fun to obey all the teachings than to just try and wrap our minds around it. But your actions matter. How you live matters. These last few weeks, we've been talking about this in the terms of belong and become. This is a beautiful way to come at this because many people claim to worship. Many people claim to love God. Many people pray. Many people say they do all of these things. And Jesus says, at the end of the day, it's the ones who follow my teachings. Those are the ones who love me. The ones who don't, it's clear they don't love me. So Judas is found by Jesus. Judas is formed by Jesus. But but then I think there's one last part of his story that makes him an extraordinary nobody. This is the verse that's stuck in my mind this week. It's kind of a weird verse. I've showed it to you already. I want you to look at it again here. Uh, I've looked at this verse a lot this week. Uh, Anybody's life verse here, this one? Bible memory, right? This is a really famous verse for that. Not quite, right? Judas and Judas. Judas and Judas. The question I couldn't get rid of this week as I just sat and looked at this was, what's the difference between these two guys? What's the difference? They've got the same name. They both were called by Jesus, found to some degree. He, he found them. He called them. They were formed to some degree in their walk with Jesus. I don't think they would have been hanging around for years had they not had some level of engagement and formation. So so they've both been formed, but yet here we are when they're presented to us one after another. There's a a little note there that makes it, helps us understand their, their conclusions of their stories were vastly different. So what's the difference? I think when the dust has settled, the story is written, what differentiates these two guys is the very same thing that will set you and I apart. And it's faithfulness. It's faithfulness. I think our Judas was faithful for two main, two main reasons. The first is exactly what I'm showing you. Uh, if, if we had a lot of evidence of, of this first Judas having, you know, some real kind of falling away from Christ, you know, he might have got his own little bracket of shame there about kind of how things went for him. There's only other one spot that I would be uh, comfortable saying to you, I feel like it is the same Judas that, that shows up, which is the beginning of uh, Acts. And, uh, When the disciples leave the garden, they go uh, to the upper room. Uh, This other Judas is mentioned as being present there, even as Peter describes Judas Iscariot betrayal. So I think from everything we see in the texts, at least at the point that this was written, this first Judas was faithful. There's another reason uh, why we would think that Judas was faithful to Christ while others turned away, and it comes from church tradition. I know people have different value on how much they would put there, but the history, the church tradition would hold that Judas would go on to to have missionary endeavors to share the gospel with many people and then at some point was martyred for his faith. So from everything we can tell, this other Judas has remained faithful. I think faithfulness really matters. 
It's towards the end of his ministry on earth, Jesus tells a story. He talks about three workers. They're each given a sum of money by their master before he leaves them. The first guy is given five bags of silver or talents, and the second guy is given two bags, and the third guy is given one bag. And the master leaves. He goes away for a while. He comes back, and he asks each of them, what have you done with what I've given you? And the first guy says, well, you gave me five, and I earned five more. The second guy says, well, you gave me two, and I earned two more. But the third guy makes excuses. He says, I didn't really do anything with it. The master only has two responses in this story. There's three guys, but there's only two responses. One response is to the guy who didn't do anything with it. He gets chastised, and he's sort of cast as sort of the don't be like this guy. But the other two guys, they receive the same response. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for some time, you know that that response for many Christians for a long, long time has become this iconic statement, a statement that has motivated people in their faith for many, many years. This is what he says. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The scholars tell us that little phrase, let's celebrate together, it's, it's, it's written literally in Greek as we enter the joy of our Lord. So this little phrase, for many followers of Christ all over the world, has become this thing to aspire to, that one day each of us might stand before our master and hope to hear those words. It's what we long for. I think any of us at the end of our lives, we're going to want to look back and we're going to want to be known as people who are faithful, and we're not going to get it perfect. The disciples are a beautiful picture of this. Peter, he doesn't get it perfect. He messes it up, and Jesus restores him and brings him back in. But there was this desire to remain faithful to Christ, even in the midst of the stumbles. And so my last hope and prayer for all of you is that you would be faithful, that you would be counted among those who have chosen to follow Christ. Because faithfulness is really hard. You don't wake up one day and just accidentally become faithful. (laughs) Faithfulness, it's rarely flashy, it's difficult, it's intentional, it's a daily choice to express your love for Jesus by obeying his teaching. This is what makes Judas an extraordinary nobody, is that he's found by Jesus, he's formed by Jesus, and at the end of the day, he remains faithful to Jesus. And if you have been found by Christ, you're here. Maybe you're just starting to investigate this. You belong here, but you have to understand you must also become. You have the opportunity to be formed by Christ. And you can do that here. And the best witness that any of us can have in this community or anywhere else that we end up is to remain faithful. Scott McKnight says, says, to love God is a faithful, rugged, an effective commitment to God. It leads us to spend time with him, to bring God glory, and to surrender to the gracious, transforming power of God. Okay. Can I just remind you what it's going to take for this church to reach its full redemptive potential? Because I'm going to tell you right now, it will not occur because of the heroic efforts of any one person. 
It will not happen because of some tremendous efforts of the staff or a handful of key volunteer leaders. No, for this church to be all that God intends it to be, it requires a room full of extraordinary nobodies. People like you and me who live our lives. We walk into the calling that God has given us. We acknowledge what the Lord has entrusted to us. And then we try to remain faithful to his teachings for a lifetime. And we are not ashamed of being nobodies because we follow the footsteps of the one who became a nobody first. Jesus chooses to be a nobody, to show up in the flesh at an obscure point in history in a forgotten, overlooked community to parents who were fit the very definition of nobodies. And then he, he lived a whole life of humble service and died a criminal's death. Our ultimate somebody gave it all up to be an extraordinary nobody. And he invites us to do the same. Okay, now this part. Uh. <laughs> Whose idea was me to do this on this weekend? It's probably Greg's idea. It's been one of the greatest joys of my life to walk with you. Jeepers. <laughs> uh, I have many emotions, but mostly just thankful. We have been loved by you. We love you. I'm not going to say a whole lot more about this in this spot, because this is going to get really awkward, and you all miss your lunch appointment. But just know how much we love you. Okay, can you all stand? And let me bless you one last time. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. And make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Oh, that the Lord would turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Heaven from my lowest place.